You're listening to a 7th edition Call of Cthulhu podcast titled Cthulhu in Cairo, brought to you by the Bardic College. Please remember to like, share, and subscribe to the show to receive notifications as our future episodes release. You can visit us on Facebook at the Bardic College. Viewer discretion is advised. Welcome to another podcast brought to you by the Bardic College. This is Cthulhu in Cairo. I'll be your keeper, uh, Raz. And we have the entire team here tonight, so I'm super, super excited. It's going to have a lot of fun tonight. I think there's going to be a lot of... Uh, a lot of twists and turns and the characters and the players are going to have their hands full understanding what's uh, afoot in 1930s London. So let me let you be reminded about the players we have and who they're playing. So we'll start off with Joel. Joel, who do you have for us? I'm playing Sid Poulter. Sid Poulter is basically a Swiss Army knife, although he was an engineer in the military. He's here to help the group in any way he can to get in and out of situations. Okay, and then we have Melinda playing Faye Dawson. Hello, everyone. I'm Faye Dawson, an explorer with a penchant for mischief. Ooh, a mischievous explorer. Excellent. And then um, my eldest daughter, Catherine Ross, uh, played by Lauren Grigoletti. Lauren, tell us a little bit about Catherine the Constitutional. (laughs) (laughs) So Catherine Ross is a nurse who naturally rolled a 95 for her constitution. So she's a badass. She can fix your wounds and she can take many. She's not going to fall down. That's what we discovered this morning. Yeah. Catherine can lower her shoulder into a Model T and uh, watch the wooden floor planks break. Uh, so my yep. other daughter, Kayla Grigoletti, is playing Aveline Hammond, the mistress, mysterious table flipper from our first episode. Aveline, uh, Kayla, tell us about Aveline. Well, I'm not only a table flipper. I am also an elementary primary school teacher, actually, would be in London. Uh, but yeah, I got a lot of stuff in the works for her, but she's just a mystery that nobody has been able to unpack yet. Okay. Like my heart. <laughs> that, that is a heck of a, a heck of a statement. A mystery no one else can. Un- well, if anybody actually listens to this uh, this episode, our likes will go up by twenty points thanks to that. Kayla, appreciate that line. Uh, and last but not least, uh, returning to us from our first Cthulhu adventure, which unfortunately the dark the older gods did not allow us to record properly, uh, is uh, Scott. And Scott is playing Professor John Schooley. How you doing tonight, Scott? Tell us about John. Professor Schooley is a uh, mild-mannered Canadian who finds himself in Lisbon now. As we found out in the last session, he uh, he knows how to take a gun away from somebody and roll really, really well. So <laughs> he's not he's not afraid to jump into the action, and um, women seem to flock to him for some odd reason. Can't imagine unusually why. so. As much as we enjoyed from episode one, John disarming the gentleman and taking his gun, I thought talking the, the guy down with a hostage was even more impressive on a natural roll of a two. So anybody who knows Call of Cthulhu, you know, five and under is one of those Hail Mary miraculous catches. And uh, John was able to do that as well. So good rolling the other night. Uh, everybody seemed to have a good time. But I, as we set forward tonight, as I said, there will be a lot of oohs and ahs, I hope. So let's get right into it. Uh, it's the next day. Some of you have behind the scenes been dealing with some issues prior to the meeting. The police asked you all to reconvene at the museum with John Wiley. Uh, it was a, just a central location where they could in, you know, come and speak to you tomorrow and take actual statements. The difference between police work back then and now, especially for people of society and aristocracy and you know learned people, the police just didn't hold up. Nobody's going home. You stay as long as I need you to stay. So it's kind of a different world, a little bit more genteel. So they took your names. If you had a passport, they wrote down any pertinent information. Uh, but other than that, it was just, you know, we'll meet with you sometime tomorrow. They made that time and date. And that was going to be at the uh, office of Percival Reese. And they were ta- said that they would set the time at about noon. 
So some of you had had actions earlier in the day. There was also several newspaper clippings that came out for our listeners at home. I won't reread them, but I will give you a little bit of a gist of what the team saw over the last couple of days. The first news report said that there had been two inmates from a local asylum that had escaped. There was sort of a real bawdy headline about inmates of the mental uh, from a mentally ill asylum or asylum. Both are considered dangerous. London quakes in fear, blah, 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 blah. Don't travel alone. So that was one of the first headlines that came to the group as they started their morning and came out for to break their fast and move around the city. Second one that they saw, whether or not at a newsstand or some other way they stumbled upon, was that a bank clerk was found guilty of embezzlement. That was just a headlines and a small article about that. And finally, last but not least, and the one that seemed to get most of their attention was an article in the London Herald, which indicated that there had been a shootout at a local bookstore after a gala attended by museum patrons and friends in which three men were killed in a bloodbath of gunfire. And the three people that were killed were all assailants. The others escaped. As we know from recounting from episode one, no one died. An innocent bystander did get shot, but Catherine and Sid were able to jump in and save his life the gentleman's life and get him stabilized and off to the hospital. So the players themselves are not quite sure why this headline reads the way it does. And it even quoted an officer who didn't want to be named saying that the damage done in the building and the fact that the gun was turned upon these criminals was a brutal act of someone who was unhinged. So, I mean, in the day and age of, you know, good and bad, and for a police officer to supposedly be quoted as saying the person who shot the bad guys was unhinged was quite a bit for the team to swallow. So that's where we're at. That kind of gets you listeners caught back up. And um, we're going to start off with, uh, we'll start off with Catherine. Catherine, so after you came out for tea and croissant or whatever you do as your morning breakfast, it's probably about 9, 9.30 in the morning. Was there anything else you wanted to do? Because we really didn't touch base too much about behind the scenes for you. Was there something you were looking to do prior to the meeting at noon? Meeting at noon. At the museum. So, at the museum. Yep. The police are going to take your statements. Reese will be there. Um, your uncle will be should be there. And John, uh, John Wiley, the owner of the bookstore, all agreed to meet and bring – he's bringing several volumes – for several of the people to look at, but everyone was going to reconvene at noon at the British Museum. I'm going to take it easy this morning. Right now, Catherine feels this is very much wrong place, wrong time situation. She was just attending a gala with her drunk uncle, and now she's been thrown into the into the mix of this situation. So she's going to take it easy. She's easing herself into the day. Okay. Um, does she have, do you have any intentions for, or does Catherine have any intentions of going to the hospital and checking on the gentleman who had been shot? Keepers okay. always, keepers always have the best ideas. Let's make that happen. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> my, my guy that I so bravely fixed up, let's go check on him. That seems the noble thing to do. Okay. So we'll just touch that real quick. You do end up going to a hospital, not far from the bookstore. Mm-hmm. Um, you're quickly able to ascertain that there was a man brought in last night with a, with, um, you know, a shotgun wound uh, to the shoulder and part of the chest that you had been able to stop the bleeding, that he was in surgery for several hours. Mm-hmm. He's in good shape, but he is unconscious. But the doctors say they're hoping that with time, he will be able to make a recovery and be okay. Right now he is under, but that's also uh, the drugs that they're giving him a lot of morphine for the pain. Right. And that tends to make you a little bit sleepy. So, Did we ever get his name? You had not gotten his name. Well, give me a, med- a medicine roll. Medicine roll. 66. That is a, that is a yes. Okay. So you're able to, after speaking to the other nurses and 
doing the whole, I'm a nurse, you're a nurse, you know, I'm nearly a doctor, but I'm a female and it really wasn't the time, but I could have passed my med cats or whatever they were called back then. You're able to make your way into the room and they show you the chart. Uh, since you were so, you know, it was such a big deal that you brought this guy in stable and he was safe and you're able to uh, get the name off the chart of Stanley Fines, F-I-N-E-S. And Stanley is uh, 36 years old. And that's about all the chart has for particulars about him, just height, weight. Occupation, nothing like that? No, not on a medical okay. chart. Um, also, since we've already, since I've spoken to the nurses, mm-hmm. the idea just popped into my head. Okay. Can I make polite nurse conversation with them and ask if anybody else was brought into the hospital that night? Any, any bodies, any people brought in? What happened last night? Because obviously there was one shooting. Like, what other crazy stuff did you see? Ooh. Okay, you've already made the medicine roll. Yeah. So you've made, um, you got a pretty decent rapport just professionally. So this one, you're asking for a little bit more knowledge about other events that occurred during the evening. Is that what you're giving me? Do you have persuade? No. What do you have? I have intimidate, which I don't think is appropriate right now. Probably not your best choice. She's not warm and fuzzy, remember? No, I, I know. But not, not all nurses, especially back then, were. Yeah. So that's not going to... That's not going to give you anything. Do you have fast talk or any of the other skills like that? Nah, I have the, the best. I have a psychology, but it's not really. All right. So with with the professional courtesy, I, they have no problem telling you that there were there was a, you know, a stabbing from a, a basic row that, you know, occurred. One woman who they believe was a professional slapped around a little bit by a John. Nothing specific about, you know, her injuries, just that she was treated and released. So, but then they do mention that very, very early in the morning, about 2 a.m., three bodies were brought in and, you know, they were all gunshot victims and they had died. They were deposited in the morgue. That was put on the the, the, the sheet from overnight that they were brought in. So I'm assuming we're making this part up is because I just don't know medical procedure in 1930 kids. We're going to assume that hospitals didn't have a specific morgue entrance like you would have brought them in through a major causeway ambulances just didn't go you know into the back and bring in bodies i'm not sure that's how it would have happened back then this hospital is an older building anyway so they brought them in and they were just filed as you know doa's gunshot victims and there was three of them and they were brought down immediately down to the morgue and put on ice but no particulars yet she didn't have that when she looked at the review of last night's sheet from the overnight nurse in charge of the desk yeah it did mention that three people had been brought in dead three gunshot wounds Okay, something to follow up on. Okay, make me an intel roll. 51, my, my intel's 80. Okay, so these are pulp Cthulhu characters for those listening at home. They're a little hardier than a traditional Cthulhu character. Don't get fr- frightened by some of the stats you're hearing. But again, for people that follow Cthulhu 7th edition, pulp is a little bit of a different animal, giving the players a little bit more chance to fight back. So that's the theme of this type of show. So, okay, Catherine, yeah, why don't you take a moment, and I'm going to go on to somebody else, but take a moment and reread the third article that was sent that you came upon on your way to the hospital this morning. You get the idea that you need to rethink about the morning news. Faye, what's up? What were you going to do this morning prior to noon? So Faye had a really restless night sleeping because, you know, she was thinking about the man that got shot because of her impulsive actions. So she was just thinking about that. So she woke up and she's just been thinking about what was found in the book. You know, the key, the passage, Elster Crowley's um, description on it. So she decides what better thing to do than to get advice from somebody who's close to her, who has a little bit more experience in her field. So she decides to send a telegram to her father. Okay. Uh, first thing when she gets up, uh, she sends it to his office. 
works for NYU, hoping that they'll be able to see it while he's there. Okay. So Telegraph's had, uh, you know, they, they, they get costly, but that's fine. Why don't you go ahead and write me out? And remember, it's usually in short script text. It's not these full flowered sentences like, dad, in London, stop. Da, da, da. Why don't you go ahead and write me out 60 words tops and send that to me through the, ch the chat on Roll20, uh, which is where we play Call of Cthulhu in Cairo. And I'll tell you what he is able to reply in a couple hours after the telegraph is delivered. Aveline. Yes. So the morning comes. Yes. What are you up to until noon? I go to the police station. Well, do I know anybody in the police station that I can speak to? Yeah, you have a uh, you have a contact there. Go ahead and make a luck roll to see if he's on duty. Actually, you know what? Can I meet my contact at a neutral location, like a restaurant or something? So you want to send a message? For, okay, so your contact is is a Bobby. He's not a full detective, but he is a beat cop. So roll to see. Give me a luck roll to see if he is in fact on duty. And then yes, you can meet him at a, at a neutral location. Uh, luck is sixty. I rolled a twenty-five. Okay, so Christopher Beeks is the name of your beat cop, and you send a message. You walk. You walk not far from the police station, you get an errand boy, give him a couple shillings, two shillings. He runs into the police barracks, finds Beaks. He is on duty. The kid hands him a note, says, please meet me at a cafe around the corner. Beaks makes an excuse and takes off from his desk and makes his way to, towards you. Uh, he has a, he takes off his blue uniform. He has the pants still on because he can't change that. Takes off the blue jacket though uh, and puts on just a regular, you know, coat and sits down about half hour after you send the message. And he's like, Oi, how can I help you, ma'am? I was wondering, did you hear about the shooting that happened at the bookstore last night? Are you talking about John Wiley? Yes. Yes, ma'am. Report was filed this morning. Three dead. What's he? Tragic. Three dead. I see. Well, what do you know about the men that attacked us? Do you have any files on them? Uh, I can break up their, uh, I can get you their police. I can get the cards on them, ma'am, but it would take me a little bit of time in doing. Right now, the, most of that information has been circulated back to a detective. So, um, I, I mean, the names I had, uh, there was a John Dodgson, James Hargreaves, and we believe the ringleader uh, was Thomas Barker, I think. Notorious fiend. Criminal record? Past criminal record? Oh, all of them, yeah. Rap sheets, mile long. Not mile. Is it metric yet? I believe it is. Meters long. <laughs> Meters. Any known associates that were not involved on the night in question? Ma'am, I'd have to get back to you on that. Hush is the word, if you know what I mean. Detective has all that thing right now, and I have—I don't have access to that. Once it goes up to once it goes up to homicide, it's harder for me to get that information. I can keep an ear to the to the floor and check on for you, but nothing at the moment. Anything you can get for me would be most appreciated, as you know. But here's my question: Why did a band of ruffian thieves with no obvious connection to Mister Wiley attack him in the first place? Well, a lot of times we find that thieves don't always have a connection, especially footpads like this, to the to their victims. They're usually looking for cash or some. Yes, but this was a high stuff. risk. This was a high risk operation to be pulling off on that specific evening with a group of people. Generally, thieves wait for their targets to leave the building before they steal something. Why did they make a big show of flaunting their guns or threatening to kill everybody in sight just to get a book? Wasn't aware that it was a book they were after, ma'am. He looks right. You weren't. Right. We. You weren't. No, ma'am. I was. I'm on duty now. I came in to just hear about some of the things that went on last night, and like I said, once it's a homicide, it goes up to a detective, just a, just a sergeant, madam. So I really don't deal with that. Once the you know, once a corpse is involved, uh, it sort of goes off my off my docket. 
But um, they did say that uh, it was quite a violent killing. All three of them were brutally slain. Uh, you know, point blank, gun up under the chin type stuff. They are looking for the other people to be in question. Well, you you were actually there. You should probably keep your voice down about that. Knowing the situation that you're in, I would hate to see you brought in for questioning, ma'am. I see. Well, I will keep that in mind. But please do send send a note or a message revealing anything that you have. I'm sure you officers do enjoy a bit of gossip around the station. Can I send it to the club? Of is course. Gustav, is Gustav listening? He always is, darling. He smiles and I better get back, ma'am. Have a good day. Okay. So that's you. So uh, we do know that Sid was uh, taking some time and moving about. Sid, none of this is secretive information. I can fill everyone in real quick, right? Yeah, that I was going to re- well, yeah, that I was going to research uh, at the library. Okay. Um, the other, you made it clear though. I wanted to take a look at the key because I'm a locksmith, amongst other things. So I wanted right. to take a look at the key and see what I could just But you said that um, Professor Schooley was not going to be around this morning. Well, John was pretty much occupied until about noon, right, John? You had decided to take take the time, let those uh, things happen that you were put you had set in motion. Correct. Okay, so yeah, okay. you're gonna ha- we're gonna have to wait for the the meeting at the museum for that. Okay. Okay, so Faye, let's see what you have. Dad in London stopped, found something curious last night. Do you have any info regarding book A Night of Disquiet? Was there uh, there was a key found in front panel description by author inside to Alistair Crowley? Let me know anything you might know. Stop. Love you and miss you. Okay. So that goes out, Faye. Uh, it'll be a little bit of time. It'll be definitely after the time of the London, of the museum meeting before you get a reply. But we can, you know, I'll get something ready for you for that. Not a problem. So everyone's kind of done. Lauren, uh, back to you with Catherine. Catherine, now that you've kind of perused your memory and gone through it again and, and thought about the, the articles, is there anything else that you might have any questions about? I'd like to ask to see the bodies. Okay, that really isn't going to be that difficult because, A, you've already made a rapport. B, you are a nurse and a professional. And okay. most of the time, if you walk with purpose <laughs> <laughs> through places, most people don't have the guts to stop you. And since it's the morgue isn't a super secure area, most people just avoid it because they don't mm-hmm. want to be there. Yeah. Uh, you're able to get down into the basement. It's white tiled, very okay. clinical looking. Um, and very, you know, it, it's just get a picture of it. Nothing modern, you know, no big, you're not talking about these big stainless steel freezers. No, they're just this white ceramic looking things, or they have a, a metal finish and there's blocks of ice. There's melting buckets that they have to dump down drains in order to keep the, everything cold and, and, you know, and, and take off the, the condensation. But yeah, you're able to make your way into the morgue, make a luck roll for me. Okay. Uh, the yeah, that's a that's a hard success. You awesome. you wait a few moments, and sure enough, one of the orderlies down there steps away and heads upstairs. A bell goes off, and he's summoned to another, you know, upstairs. Could be for another body coming in. Could be the head nurse needs him for some other issue, maybe lifting a patient that's on the, you know, on the main floor of the hospital, whatever it is. You are able to get into the morgue undetected and unmolested, and you've got, with that kind of a success, you've got 10, 15 minutes if you need it. First of all, are these the three guys from last night or okay. are they three different guys? Okay, so you're going to have to make me a uh, – we're going to go medicine roll again, and I'm looking for a hard success on this because when you open the first drawer that is marked John Doe gunshot, most of the face is missing. Okay, medicine hard success. One moment, trying to find my medicine roll. And in a surprising upset from Miss Ross, <laughs> that is not a success. <laughs> Surprising, I'm saying. 
So okay. you are unable. Body number one, I can't determine. Okay. So I can, I'll tell you what. Okay. You stand there for a few minutes. You're obviously, you're not overly affected by the smells. You're not overly affected by the sight of a body in this condition. Yeah. I'll let you push the roll. You still need a hard success, but I'll let you make it in Call of Cthulhu. For those, again, that may not play Call of Cthulhu, real quick, we'll revise. You know, we'll talk about the rule. You can make a push, which allows you to re-roll a skill check that's that's important to you or some other check. Again, you tell the keeper, i.e. me, how you're what you're doing to make me affect a different result. Roll it, and then either good things happen or could be tragic consequences. So... Okay, Catherine, do you want to push the roll and examine the next body or look at this one more closely? I would like to examine the next body. So you're going to push the roll? It would, okay. Yeah, because either way, Mm -hmm. I was saying you gave a cursory glance to the three trying to identify them. Okay. There's no no clothes on them. They're Mm -hmm. naked. Most of their faces are gone. You're going to have to do it through some other mark you may have picked up that night, like staring at them or looking at them. So um, do you want to push the roll? As an alternative to pushing the roll, can I look around the room for paperwork? But they were they were marked as John Doe's. They, they would there wouldn't be paperwork. Right, they're waiting on okay. identities or whatever. Got it. Because a lot of teeth are missing. I mean, you're mm-hmm. talking about a shotgun point blank to the face. Making note of that. So are we rolling? Um, we are. Okay. Shotgun rolling, point blank rolling, to the face, rolling. and we're rolling. Good luck, mate. Oh dear. Ouch. How? Luck is in the exact same roll. Oh, I mean, there is a bit of luck there because oh, what are the chances Mel? of you getting 88 life? Mel. One in a hundred. Literally. Times two. Whatever that works out. If you were on a straight, babe, you'd be the only one to get hit by the same bus twice. I mean, that's bleeding miraculous if you think about it, really. feel very fortunate. So the alarm bell that was going off was a fire bell. Oh. Sprinklers pop and discharge. Smoke is coming down the staircase as you try to fumble your way. You're going to need a luck roll to get to find the doors and get out of the situation. The hospital has a, something tragic has gone on, either with nitrous oxide or some other type of chemical, and there is a, a fire currently breaking out in the building. You just thought it was a summoning bell, and it went and stopped. You don't know why it stopped, but a fire is there is definitely a fire raging somewhere in the hospital, and you're starting to smell smoke. The power goes out. And you are left in the dark. So now make me a luck roll to try to find your way out. Sidebar, what orderly kind of saw me in the hallway and didn't like... Nope, he didn't see you. I okay. said you were able to duck in All undetected right. and unmolested. I, okay. I was imagining that like he just ignored me or whatever. Well. Casually walking past. Luck roll. I'm gonna die. <laughs> oh my lord in heaven. This is why I got off roll 20. <laughs> Love you roll so, 20. But every day you pick a bad guy. <laughs> so you are unable. You knock the body off the, the the sliding the sliding tray. Oh, good. Instruments go left hither and thither. The scale hits the floor. You fall down. Formaldehyde and other goop is spilling all over the place. You are crawling on hands and knees. You're starting to take on. I mean, smoke normally rises, but you are definitely smelling something coming through the vents. You finally find the door out, and there's no, you know, there's no backlash or, or backdraft or fire here, but you definitely are covered in just the most, you know, just the crappiest stuff you can be covered in when dealing with the human dead and their remains. So you don't smell good. You, you're a mess. You can, I'm also you're, covered in a highly flammable liquid. Yeah, and you're a drenched rat. I mean, so you, you run to the stairs thinking how the hell did this all go wrong you make your way up the stairs 
and they are escorting people out. The bell has gone off. They stop it. There's no fire brigade yet, but you know, they've, they've taken sand buckets and water buckets that hang and they're dumping it on things. Cause I'm not sure fire extinguishers are out yet. If they were, they were probably only water. So they running up the stairs, Lauren. So the fire was on the second floor. That's all the smell you smelt was through the vents. Uh, you do make your way out. Do you have stealth at all? Um, it's not great. Ah, so what? Give it a roll. Okay. Give it a roll. Oh, Jesus Christ. Well, and folks. She, and she knocks over another body on her way out the door. <laughs> well, it's just that everybody sees you leaving. And the nurse that you were speaking to is like, my God, my dear, what has happened? What has happened to you? What? Uh, oh my God. You, sm- you smell like, like the devil. What is, what are, are you, are you okay? I'm, I'm fine. I'm, I'm all right. I got hit with the sprinkler as it, as they started and I, and I vomited and, um, oh, there's a fire in this building. I'm, I'm going to go. I'm, I'm leaving. We need, why are we still standing here talking? Because the fire is, it's contained. We, we've already sent some orderlies up. It's going to be fine. What happened? Ah, there was, there was a fire. I'm not sure of the exact extent, but I was, it's already been sent through that there, everyone's going to be okay. You smell of, oh my God. Don't worry about it. It's just the vomit. Politely, thank you so much. Have a wonderful day. I'm okay. gonna go. So she runs. Yeah. Quarter of the night. It's just the vomit. It's just the vomit. <laughs> oh, the twi- oh, the twilight. Oh, As if that's not horrible. It's just the vomit. I'm not going to make a dex roll for you and your chunky heels running down the street of London, covered in formaldehyde, dripping wet. <laughs> trying not to be either run over by a horse and carriage or break your ankle down the main staircase. We'll just say you got out. Cause that's Yay. The <laughs> please. She can't take much more of this. <laughs> you, uh, you find yourself at 1030 about an 40 minutes from the museum, the meeting and about 35 minutes from your hotel, unless it- you take a cab. So you're going to need to hire a cab, get it or go to a boutique and buy a change of clothing, whatever that is you choose. But you cannot go to the meeting that you're about to go in the state you're in. Your hair is disheveled. Oh, no. <laughs> you, you really look like you just ran into a chupacabra and it didn't go well. Like, this was a, just a bad night. So, And there's no chupacabras here. So no, everyone's going to question it. Right. Um, okay. Yeah. So oh. Catherine is going to – Catherine is going to hire a car. Chupacabra! Chupacabra! <laughs> ah. So Catherine is going to hire a car. Okay. To take her to a boutique, politely wait five minutes. I'm going to go run in, grab a change of clothes, uh-huh. and then he will take me to the museum. Okay. The first three cars flip you off and refuse to take you. That's, you that's smell. Fair. You smell like spleen. <laughs> oh, so, it's just the vomit. <laughs> finally. With just a hint of bile. You, a, a cabbie pulls up who just appears so damn desperate. That he just is thankful for the fare, and he and he just rolls the windows down, and he tries to make polite talk. Fine day, madam. <laughs> you know, as he's plugging his mouth with one yeah. hand, as he just puts his handkerchief and <laughs> ties it like that. Yeah, he looks like a COVID nineteen person with the whole thing around his face and just trying not to breathe in <laughs> your your odiferousness, your musk. So I, you make it, you get going, get showered and cleaned up. We're going to say that some of that's lingering, though. So if somebody is really standing very close to you, they're going to wonder about your eau de toilette. So, um, <laughs> so we'll just, for the next 12 hours, you are definitely going to be a little bit of a funk. 
So the things well, I do for this family, for the, for my kin. All right. So that's about that wraps us up. That gets us all heading into the right direction, uh, heading for the the British Museum in London and the office of Percival Reese. Uh, we'll say that everybody starts to arrive together about the same time within 10 or 15 minutes. Aloysius Banks is there. He uh, does greet everyone. And when you walk up, Catherine, it's, oh, my dear. What? My God. What? Is, is this new? Is it French? Is what French, Uncle? Nothing, my dear. Are, are you on your moment? Is this, um, are you, this is, this is outrageously foul. Um, Cool. I, are you speaking of the flock? I don't believe that's appropriate for daytime conversation. I, I don't. This is a museum. You can't come in here like this. I have no idea to what you're referring. Did you hit your head last night in the commotion? This way. This way. Are you well, Uncle? Are you well? Am I well? <laughs> yes. Look at the state of you. Nails cracked, smelling like something that's come out of Whitechapel. The state of my nails. I did attend a body last night, and as for... I don't know what you're talking about. Did you lay with it? Never mind. Let's just, just. I let's cannot move on. believe you've said this to me. <laughs> for the viewers, I apologize for my obnoxious laughing. I can't control it. <laughs> oh my god, I'm crying. <laughs> so wrong. You he he moves you inside and brings you to Reese's office. John is already looking at the barge. Uh, Sid is admiring the fact that it's running everything looks good faye dawson has been talking and chatting up sid about what you know she can't wait to see what they find and perhaps he'll be able to work with one of her exhibits in the future everyone's very excited so you all gathered near the the barge itself the barge of seti and uh aloysius brings you into the a more private part of the wing of the library where the offices are and as you approach percival reese's office is black it's dark he has not arrived Aloysius doesn't have any problem with that. It's about five or ten minutes early. He does uh, use his master key, unlocks the office door, turns the light on, and as Catherine walks through, he also turns on the fan. So everyone, he offers everyone to have a seat. There are some filing cabinets in here. It's a nice office, but it's definitely an academics office, unlike what banks might have, which would look more like an office to meet people and entertain or present a face of the museum. This is a working office. There's papers, different places. There's things attached to the walls, notes and things. So this is definitely, you know, a 1920s furniture style with a lot of just stuff. More stuff than this room should have in it. Books piled. There are a few chairs and stuff around you can pull around and sit or lean up against a wall. But for the most part, it's a, it's definitely, like I said, it's a working man's office. So that's where we're at there. Does anybody want to poke around, do anything before or if race does show up? Mm, I'm good. Okay, so you're all just so, kind of sitting there waiting. Well, is is John there with us or no? Yeah, John has walked in now. Yep, there, everyone's there together. All right, so then I will go to uh, to John and I will uh, ask to see the key so that I can take the key. I can look at the key and see what I can ascertain from it. I kind of quietly respond, leaning in to Sid and say, um, "Let's talk just a little bit later about the key and keep that between ourselves, shall we?" I don't like you that way, mate. But okay. <laughs> I, and and by the way, I, I I have already found out some things about the key that are quite interesting. But uh, I'd rather not share all that right now. Understood. So a few minutes pass. There's a heavy rap at the door. Does anybody say come in? Open it. What do they want to do? Faye just slowly goes, "Yeah." Mike, come in. Oh uh, yeah, sure. Okay. Sid op- Sid walks the door, opens it. There's a man in about forties, 
He is mustached as well, fairly clean cut. He walks in, looks around. He says, good evening. I'm with the Metropolitan Police. My name is Detective Carl Simmons. Thank you all for coming. I believe that you met with one of my associates last night and arranged for this particular meeting regarding the uh, situation that unfolded at the John Wiley and Son bookshop. Is that correct? Is that? Yes, it is. Okay. Yes, ma'am. He says, well, looks at his watch. He goes, well, look at my time. I'm a few moments early. Mr. Wiley doesn't appear to be present. Any of you, Reese? Uh, The gentleman is not here yet. He says, well, why don't we start then? Um, I'm sure that there'll only be a few moments. Uh, Why don't we start then by making some introductions? As I said, my name is Detective Simmons. And uh, going around the room, this fine gentleman with what I can only assume is a championship mustache. What is your name, sir? Sidney Poulter, sir. Very well. Takes out a, a notepad and starts jotting down with a pencil. He says... A new young lady looks at Faye, says, can I have your name, please? Uh, yeah, I'm Faye Dawson. And you were there that last night at the bookstore? Uh, yeah, yeah, I was. I see. And uh, this gentleman over here, dapper young uh, man, what's your name, sir? My name is, uh, is Professor John Schooley. Professor? What are you a professor of, sir? Uh, history, sir. Makes sense in a museum, eh? He says, and you, miss, what is your name? Eveline Josephine Hammond. And uh, sorry for the repeated question, but you were also present last night at the Wiley and Sons bookstore. Yes, I was. And finally, what is that? What? <laughs> Catching a whiff. Sorry about that. Uh, and your name is? Catherine Ross. I am the niece to the head curator at the museum. You're related to Mr. Banks? Yes. He is my uncle. Oh, I see. Which Does explains it... my attendance last night. I was his caretaker. Let's not go so fast, madam. I'll ask the questions here and I'll, um, I'll get the facts as I need them. Now, why were you at the bookstore last night? I at the bookstore. Right. My uncle invited me. Okay, I believe you mentioned that. Right. Okay. <laughs> Looks at his watch. Well, very unfashion. I mean, it's fashionably late, I and mean, then there's keeping the police waiting. I'm not saying that, you know, it's not like I'm a busy man. I don't have lots to do. <laughs> right. So, uh, you, sir, mustache, Sydney. Yes, sir, Sid, if you will. Sid, why don't you give me a little bit of an account of what happened last night then, please? We was at the museum, you see, for the uh, unveiling of the uh, the vessel that's out there, the Egyptian vessel. and uh, You mean like a pot? No, no, no. It's more of a boat. It's more of a boat, if you will. But we uh, we then went to the bookshop for an after party for this thing. And uh, a few people took some birds, Mr. Schooley there. And uh, we headed over for a party. And then it was uh, invaded, invaded by thugs. Invaded by thugs. I thugs. Mm. Yeah. Right. Three gentlemen, three gentlemen brandishing weapons, demanding a book from the owner, Mr. Wiley. Just three? I believe it was three. Everybody conclude that there were only three men in this heist. Is that correct? There are more. I'm sorry, yeah, Miss. Keep, keeper. There there were uh there were just the three for, you know, as I recall, right? Why three do I are, yeah. no Why, but there I were five there were men? Yep, eight is the number. So th- three, and then they had associates. That com- Catherine says, no, there was eight. And they're like, oh, that's right. Okay. So, yes. Yeah, so you have the, uh, you have that situation. So he takes down the number eight. Okay. And he says, and they were there for a book, you say, sir? Yeah, they were looking for a book. They, they said they wanted some book, and they was going to kill this man if they didn't get this book. What man? This Wiley man. Oh, oh, I see. The owner of the bookstore, sir. Right, right. He was hiding like a... Some sort of small badger. 
but they rooted him out, and then they wanted this book, and uh, and they got it. I see. Sort of, but not. They, they got the book. They, no, they didn't get the book. Um, All right, but, so I'm uh, getting a little confused here. They got the book. They didn't get the book. They did. They did. They they did not get the book. Right. So they asked for a book. Which book? Oh, I don't recall. You have you have to ask Mr. School. He remembers that. And being oh, a and what? <laughs> well, there goes a bus, and someone got thrown under it. She turns to John. <laughs> oh no! And he, and he says, "You sir, you know the name of this book." I do indeed, sir. I do indeed. I, I reach inside slowly into my uh, my overcoat pocket, oh! and I produce the book. Okay. He's wow. Looks. This at was it. the book, sir. Now, this was the the actual book, or a copy of a book. This, this was the book they were the... looking for. This is the book that Mr. Wiley gave me last night, after uh, after the whole kerfuffle was uh, was resolved. He gave you evidence, and you took it from the crime scene. Well, the police had already left, and everything had cleared out. And I oh, so I you're saying it... we were going for a cuppa? That's what you're telling me right now. That we just I'm decided it was to leave a... early. I'm saying it was a it was a quite a chaotic scene, and I thought I would be of assistance to make sure that uh, that this didn't get lost. Hmm. Right, puts it down on the desk. Says, well, if, if everyone did leave as early as you indicate, sir, then uh, I should be thanking you. Thank you for the book. Appreciate uh, that. That's your, evidence, then. That's your service. Right. So there's eight gun, eight men screaming for a book. Never heard of this damn thing. Opens it up, pages through a little bit. He's like, is that poetry? Armed gun Portuguese. looking for a book of po- Portuguese. Portuguese poetry. Don't dare take the lock. Puts it back on the desk for a moment. He says, so you're painting a picture for me here, Sid. Bookshop. Scared as a badger book owner, men with guns, screaming for Portuguese poetry. Then what happens? I think they shot that guy, didn't they? They shot Wiley's kid. Shot Wiley's kid. If, one of um, the uh, one of the bystanders. One of they the shot. bystanders, a man by the name of Stanley Fines, was shot last night, detective. And I happen to be a nurse, very skilled in first aid and medical training. I was able to save him. He is currently at, and I give that name of the hospital. So there were four people shot, is what you're telling me, ma'am. There was one person shot. Now, let's just take a giant step back here. According to my chief, who spoke to the officers that were present last night, three men were shot. We are looking for the man who shot them. Three of the assailants were gunned down, point blank. And that bloke is someone we want to be talking to. Now, just, you, just, you're at the wrong party. You're, you're at the wrong party. Sir, the Metropolitan Police don't make mistakes about bookshops being robbed in the middle of the night after a museum gala featuring a boat and people being injured. Three men were brought to the hospital last night. Three of the assailants brutally cut down. Not saying they might not have deserved it, sir. Don't want to imply that. But three of them were gunned down in cold blood, and we are looking for the man who did it. Now, that didn't happen at the party, sir. Those three men were led away by the police. They're at the wrong party. It, it, it didn't happen at this party. It happened at somewhere else. All right. Obviously, someone's got a wire crossed, and I'm a patient man. Within reason, turns to Aveline. Rest to you. Hold your gobs. You. Who shot this fine? I just... Uh, she seems to be a little freaked out, like... She obviously doesn't look like she's been questioning before or she's acting like it. So it's, I, I don't know. It was, it all happened so quickly. It was, uh, somebody reached 
for a gun or tried to reason with one of them and in haste the man was shot and then every then I, I'm not sure who exactly did the shooting. I did not know their names. Miss Dawson, maybe you were in a better position. Fines gets shot according to you, this man in the hospital that we have no record of being shot. Someone took the gun and shot him. How did the, what happened? Uh, funny you should ask that. What happened was man had the gun and I saw that he was about to shoot Wiley Jr. John Wiley Jr., the bookshop owner's child. Very same. All right. So I saw it and I just immediately sprang into action and I tried to just grab the gun away. But I pushed him and he shot and he accidentally shot um, man in the shoulder. But uh, luckily, uh, Miss Ross was there. So the guy was able to, she was able to resuscitate him and he was okay. And I was helping too, but he was the only one shot there to my knowledge. Okay. So I'm going to- Yes, I'm gonna yes, do, that's correct. I'm going to focus on two things. One, you say he was shot accidentally. What makes you think it was accidental? Because I pushed him out of the way. So wasn't, he wasn't meant to shoot the guy that was shot. Uh, the, the Catherine, what's his name? Stanley Fines. Stanley Fines, yeah. Wasn't meant to so get shot. So the gunman- was going to unload on someone. Who would that someone have been if it was where you, you were nearby? You were, you were wrestling for a gun. Away from John Wiley Jr. I wasn't about to watch him get shot. Are you kidding me? I was trying to get the gun away from him so he wasn't shooting anybody. I didn't do a good job because he ended up shooting Stanley Fine. So I don't know. Mel, do you have performance? Probably not. <laughs> well, you went to Brooklyn. No, I don't. Performance is not a skill. It's yeah, under, it would be under acting or performance if you took okay. something in it. Like a craft. Yeah, you could, it'd be a craft. Okay, so do you have charm, fast talk? Fast talk would be the best. No fast talk. I have regular charm. Maybe oh, charm. Only 15, but yeah, sure. Why not? Listen, right. I, didn't say you were, I didn't say you were very charming, Faye. <laughs> I just said you were charming. Right, I'm channeling schooly. Channeling very Oh, and. Okay. So again, you could push it, but with a 15, I probably wouldn't recommend that. That's a tough role. So he looks at you and says, I don't mean to be disrespectful to the fairer sex, but I'm going to ask you one more time, miss. You're telling me that a man, a gentleman, was on the ground with a gun, mm -hmm. a shotgun, correct? I think so, yeah. Aiming at him. Now, are you romantically involved with this young man? Oh, what the hell? Well, I mean, Matt, miss, you're throwing yourself in bodily harm. To protect an unknown person or persons from being shot point blank to get another man shot point blank. I'm not sure exactly where this all comes from. Well, I Are didn't you... know he was going to shoot anybody at first. So now the gunman's discharged the weapon. What happens next, miss? I mean, after I pushed him at, you mean after I pushed him and he shot fines? Yes. Now he has a gun. Shot's been uh -huh. taken. How come he doesn't keep unloading? What happens after that? Because then his boss was like, stop shooting! And everything went to chaos. So, I don't know. I got lost in everything. And also, Catherine actually, interceded I... and decided to save Mr. Fines. She's the one that actually halted the situation the most. Well, I think I can, I can interject there. After one of the assailants, uh, I, I, I was not necessarily privy to exactly how the weapon went off, but I did see one of the assailants shoot one of the bystanders, one of the partygoers. And uh, it seemed to me like, you know, the violence was going to escalate. Obviously, he had just shot somebody. And um, I took it upon myself to try to, uh, to, try to intercede. I, I, I rushed the gentleman uh, who had shot uh, the bystander, the gentleman who was holding the shotgun. And um, 
I was able to to bowl him to the ground and uh, disarm him. So now you're Sid. I'm getting a picture. Thank you, Mr. Schooley, Professor Schooley. I'm sorry. Sid, so now Professor Schooley is standing there with a scatter gun. Is that my understanding? Yeah, I believe so. So when does he turn it on the three gunmen? Because it sounds to me, sir, like you must must be our shooter. You have a <laughs> shotgun. Is it you? Did you fire on those men? No, I didn't. Uh, the, the shotgun I had uh, taken from him never fired after I took it. You got the wrong end of the stick here, lad. Is it, no, no one here's no one here's shooting anybody. It was one one geezer's shot in the shoulder accidentally. We got a group of, of of creepy dudes who are looking for a book, threatening to kill people. Look like someone's nobbled their faces up for a living. A book of and, Portuguese and, and poetry is that Portuguese the book? poetry, as so it turns out to be. But this guy Johns, he's a right geezer. He does the right job. He stands up. Right, he holds him off, talks the band down, balls the size of Kansas. He did a good job. No one shot anyone. You're in the wrong place, mate. I got three corpses in the morgue, my friend. I got three men missing faces, and all of them, my people tell me, were pulled out of that bookshop. Now you explain that to me, Mister Poulter. How many times do five people have to tell you that those? I don't bodies- like your tone, Miss. Well, you don't like my tone. I don't like your tone, Detective Simmons. You're not listening. Well, do you see to the us. difference? Her Majesty pays me to speak in this tone, Miss. Not you. So I'm going to ask right. you to be well, a little bit more polite. Let's give the lady a break here, okay? Let's not let's not go crazy. Let's you not mean, go crazy. You mean the Americana who got somebody shot because she didn't know how to handle a firearm? Is that the one you want me to be nice to? I'm sensing a whole lot of nothing going on here except porgy pies, and I'm going to get to the bottom of it. Is there I'm another gonna... detective that we can talk to? Dawson. Are you unhappy with my service, Madam? Detective, I'm sure she's just a little shaken up after last night. I shoot Faye a look, don't piss him off anymore. He's like, I shoot her a look like, mm, take a step back. I'll just sit here. <laughs> I'll just sit here. <laughs> De- Detective. Miss. I assure you, the events as which Mr. Poulter and the professor here are uh-huh. all indeed accurate. No other shots were made from the professor's end once he got the gun. He was only using it to de-escalate the situation or attempt to by talking down the leader of the gang and or the thieves. And everybody else was just trying to get out of there. Like, everybody else was either running or Catherine was saving this poor man who was accidentally shot. And Fines. that's it. Fines. I apologize. I'm a little... I'm a little Shaken up. I apologize. Detective, I can assure you that if more shots had been fired, I would have been attending to those men. I saw to one man whose body is sitting at the hospital. The five of us were in that building. We were there. The only shots that were fired in our presence was the one that struck Mr. Fines. Right. Uh, Detective, what's very confusing is uh, the five of us were not the only ones in attendance at this party. The party was packed with, with, you know, other attendees who were all there who witnessed all of this transpire. At the end, uh, when when things got chaotic, there were people running out, but that was, you know, as your police were arriving and uh, quickly took uh, control of the situation. Well, we're going to be Very confused. Mr. Wiley. Uh, as am I, sir. We're going to be taking, talking to Mr. John Wiley, who should have been here by now, but fine, I will go. we will go there, and I will speak with him. But I am going to get a list of the partygoers, sir, and I am going to question them. And for your yep. sakes, all five of you, and I don't mean to be rude by this, but for your sakes, you better, it better be corroborated because I'm right now pointing that the main shooter 
if these three men are the men that my police officers did say, and I'm not saying there's not a mistake, but we don't make mistakes. These three <laughs> men are dead. And I just need to find out exactly what's going on. Now we have the book. Thank you for the evidence. He puts it in his pocket. He said, obviously, Mr. Reese is a no-show. Not sure exactly what's going on there, but I will get to the bottom of that as well. I'm going to take all your names, and I'm going to ask that you don't leave town unless you check in with the Metro Police Department chief. He tells you his boss is named uh, Nigel Cooper, and he says, and you can speak to him before you leave. So keep yourselves local and available, and we'll be in touch, okay? He takes down where everybody is staying, and then unless there's any other questions from the five of you, he is going to make his way out the door. I ask a question. He stops. Yes, ma'am. Um, detective, is there was so much going on last night in the chaos as everyone was running. The the three bodies that, that your men brought into the hospital, the dead ones. Yes, ma'am. Do you have their names? Like yes, were ma'am. they were you were you able to identify them? Yes, ma'am. Thank you. <laughs> were you asking for the names? No, because I know he's not gonna give them to me. Uh, probably not. I mean, intimidating a cop isn't a good thing. Persuade might get you a name, but only if he slips. Not he my... Goes, yeah, yes, ma'am. I have their names. Uh, I'll try a persuade roll. I mean, like, as I, I go off of her saying, like, oh, how how horrible. I mean, do you know who their families are? Like, who they were related to? Scum, ma'am. Pawn scum. <laughs> not worth thinking about. But go ahead and give me a roll, okay? What's your persuade? 50 I and I got a 41. Okay, that's a, that's a success. He's going to say to you, we definitely know one of them was a Thomas Barker. The other two gentlemen, uh, we are assuming are associates, but we're just running down that lead, those leads now, but we're fairly certain we know who they are. I, have you informed the families that they are unfortunately passed away? Madam, when we tell them that, that their loving sons and brothers and husbands have been killed because they were trying to hold up an honest gentleman's bookshop, and steal a book of Portuguese poetry, I'll be doing it with the foot of my boot, punching through their door, and beating them for questions. That's the way Metro Police works, ma'am. I am certain that, like, that a more gentler approach would be good, considering they did lose a member of their... Uh, they did lose a loved one. It's not like they, they understood it. They, it's not like they were involved. All right, miss. And what is it you do for a living? Oh, I'm a you, you, must be a poli- you must be a police officer. School teacher. Oh, well, there it is then. I forgot to check with me old school matron on how I'm supposed to treat convicts and suspects. But I'll make sure to make that phone call as soon as I get done here, miss. And I think that other lesson that you should learn is how to speak to women, considering you have disrespected half of the room, more than half the room. I second that motion. You, you're on thin ice, Americana. Let me tell you that right now. Mm. And you, miss... I don't know where, you, where your P's and Q's are coming from, but I'm going to tell you this. Stay in London and stay available. I'll be coming in for you. I am not done with the five of you. That's for sure. I'm going to get to the bottom of this. And he starts to walk out and takes the book with him. Oh, officer, officer. He keeps walking. I, so, I sort of walk towards him. Okay, he's out the door and he's walking down the hall, but go ahead and yell. All he right, so I, I try to get him to stop. He stops, spins, looks at his watch again, puts it away. Okay. I ask him if he, ha- if he has a moment. Before he goes, because something he said made me remember something that I find curious. What is it, sir? Please be brief. The leader of uh, the leader of the three that came in and robbed the bookstore, his name was a Thomas something. Baca. The other, the other guys were calling him Thomas, but when he left, he was alive. All three were alive when they left with the police, but his name was Thomas. Well, so obviously, sir, he was there and got shot. 
No, but he wasn't, is what I'm telling you. He None of them got shot in the bookstore. They were all taken away by the police, by the constables. Sir, Thomas Barker is a corpse in the... I understand that. I'm just saying he wasn't a corpse when he left the bookstore. You know, well. it seems it seems like an easy thing to check. Uh, you know, this all this all uh, occurred, you know, around 11, 11 o'clock at the at the bookstore. You know, if these three men were dead, you know, just go talk, just go talk to the hospital. You know, they they would have they would have shown up at the hospital around that time, right? Catherine, yeah. you want to jump in? Catherine knocks something off the desk and makes a kerfluffle. Like, oh dear, oh oh dear, I'm so sorry. Don't know what happened there. What were you saying, gentlemen? Uh, oh, papers everywhere. But I'm trying to not bring this conversation with the detective in the room any further. Okay, it's been about 20 minutes. It's now about 12:25. He's pretty much done. He's he is gonna. He does say again that there are three corpses in the hospital. They've already checked that. They already know the identity of. They believe that the identity of two have been. One is definite. He had things on him that identified him as Thomas Barker. The other two are two known associates. They believe they know who they are by the general age of the bodies and, uh, you know, a mark here or there, but they're waiting for confirmation on that. And Catherine seems to be indicating that she may have information about that somehow. So that's, uh, unless there's anything else, Officer uh, Simmons is going to make his way out of the building. And he says that he is going to be taught, you know, he's like, I'm on my way to go speak to Mr. John Wiley now. And he walks and he makes his way past the barge out the exit, and starts heading down the stairs. Wiley's supposed to be at this meeting? Wiley was supposed to be here, and so was Percival Reese. So where's he going? He's going to speak to Wiley, find out why he's not here. Okay. So now we're all together alone. Yes. Yep. Faye shuts the door. There are three bodies in the morgue at Gives Name of Hospital. Which hospital is it? London General. Okay. Our Lady, there... Our Lady of Mercy. <laughs> there are... Our, la- Our Lady of Perpetual no. Sorrow. That's what I was going to say. <laughs> So there are three bodies buried. No, not buried. There's three bodies in the morgue at London General, shot point blank in the face with a shotgun, brought in at two o'clock in the morning. There's a three hour time difference. One of them we now know has been identified as Thomas Barker, but all, all of their paperwork in the morgue, they're listed as John Doe. Something fishy is going on here, which is why I smell bad. Didn't you say that was French? So how do you know they were brought in there at, uh, at three in the morning? I n- Nurses talk. No, I knew something was off. I don't like, I don't you like bring, that sentence. You bring him a cuppa and they talk. Well, so, unfortunately, he is a police type. So the minute that they think they have a lead or they have a suspect who gives the case a clean close, they're going to chase it like a bulldog with a bone. They're going they to try stop. to pin it on you. They're going to try to pin it on you, Schooly. No, there those ain't nothing were, to pin. Those men were, I, I, I know that. But those men were killed brutally. I couldn't identify their faces. There's a reason why they were shot like that. Executed. You think, you think they were shot by the cop? Well, I mean, we all saw them. We all saw them led off by the police, right. or who we thought were the police. Maybe they weren't the police. Maybe there's something going on with the police that we don't know yet. Well, they didn't know that a book was involved, and yet we did. We mention that to them in their first encounter. Intel roll. All we heard were whistles um, last night. I got a, I got a fifty-five. What's your intel? Uh, seventy-five. Okay. Uh, you clearly remember last night before you were told to leave and that they would get to you tomorrow that the book was discussed and the transaction of the book. Officers were still there when the book was handed to John. So I'm 
inclined to believe that either those officers were had a miscommunication with the detective here, but why didn't he know about it at all? Like the detective the, didn't seem to know about anything. Exactly, and those officers should have given him a debriefing before being allowed to see us. Or even, like, it would have been good form to ha have at least a good idea of what the crime scene was like before questioning some witnesses. Did he show us a badge? Did Simmons show us a badge or anything that proved that he was actually a cop? No. Oh, fuck. I have to get to Wiley. Oh, we've let a, to use a British term, we've let a tosser take our book. Let the guy well. take the book, and now he's about to go to Wiley, who... Who knows what's about to happen? So I don't know about the and four where of you. So uh, just just one second, and I reach into my coat and I pull out. I do have a copy of the book, and I uh, I show them the uh, the mimeograph I had made um, of the book. Yeah, so um, John, uh, let's let's discuss. Was it the it was the line of text, right? Mimeograph uh, to do a whole book would have taken a while. So um, it's not that. And believe me, there's nothing else in the book but the line of text that's important. At this point, so any of uh, the you know any of the uh, mimeograph the covers the the, yeah, the yeah, yeah, introduction okay. pages any yep, the inscription yep. anything okay. in the book that would have been of note yep. underlined okay, captioned. Yep. What's yep. a mimeograph for the kids in the back? Okay, wow. so it's wow, a mimeograph cool. is and a mimeograph was actually not super new technology, but it had been around for a while. It was a type of paper that was lined with um, ink, and then it would press very hard against the other print and create a form of an image so it was like taking um a, a early photocopy yeah photo a, a, a very archaic yeah. photocopy very cool and it's it was done by hand you'd have a copy sheet too and it would just keep yeah yeah cool yeah. so you have a copy of the cover the binding and the rear cover the inscription and the dedication at the front of the book other than that there was nothing else of that you saw that would have you know involved that kind of copy so you've got like four or five pages Anything of note, yes. Yeah, of, of general note, yeah. Cool. Well, at least there's that. So okay, well, we're looking at a situation of either he is the real police and the people at the scene last night were not the real police or vice versa. I am more inclined to believe that Detective Simmons was true police because I was having a breakfast meeting with a friend of mine and he did not hear about the book either. And he works for the Metro Police Department. I'd still like that confirmed somehow versus, you know, it's confirmed. information I over breakfast. I understand, but he is a desk sergeant and he was involved in the case and he had his hands on it. But he did not hear about the book himself. When I, when I mentioned it to him, he was unaware of it. Sounds like a and, thrilling breakfast. And Aveline, how many people did he claim was killed? Uh, Three? So he, he was under the same in person as this detective. Correct. Exactly. So somebody's fabricating evidence, and I believe it was the police officers that, police officers, I say in quotes, who appeared at the shop last night. So that's odd, then. So that means that uh, the police were never at the shop last night? Right. Or arrived there after everybody to find, you know, whatever scene was staged, perhaps? Which explains the tone of the overall news article because they're they're calling the killer violent, deranged. They're painting a picture. You seem a reasonable guy. I don't know if that's this is completely. I think it's a complete fabrication. Something's wrong here. What if the um, 
the guys that showed up and that we thought were cops were not really cops, but they were part of the second phase of the book robbery where it was planned that they would arrive and that's how they would get out was uh, by then. Or a competing group that also wants the book. Then why not take the it? Gu- it was out in the open. Because nobody saw the book in the open at that point, remember? They did. They saw, they saw, me, have, they saw me take the book. The police were privy to that information last night. Were they? Please. That's they why I thought he brought the book out after the cops left. Uh, they, well, they the keeper just about. said, yeah, the keeper said that they witnessed about. that. Unless, oh, you know, this could be uh, this this could be like a young Sherlock Holmes kind of thing, where they're part of a group trying to protect the information and suppress it getting out. So the I first group, Sid, is, I don't know if Sid Poulter saw young Sherlock Holmes, but okay. No, well, I'm, I'm sort of talking. <laughs> I'm just regionalizing the whole thing. The magic so, of cinema. If there's a all right, so Indiana Jones on the Last Crusade, yes. What if there is a sec? What if this was a second group who was interested in them not getting the information, who has been tracking them, and so the robbers in the store thought it was the police. They went with them. This second group killed these men in a way so that their faces were not discernible. Shot them in the face, and and then uh, in doing so, they kept the secret safe. It's possible. I mean, there's not really any information to go on who they were, except that it's seemingly pretty sure that they were not police. Right. And they they clearly were not acting in the same interest as the robbers. They were most likely acting in the opposite interest. Or they're dirty cops. There's a knock at the door. Oh, Oh my goodness. I cross the room to answer it. Okay. You open it up. Man stands there, flips open a badge. Good day, sir. Alan Kincaid. Sorry, I'm a little bit delayed. We had some problems with the cop. Um, just uh, wanted to get some information from you fine folks. Uh, may I come in? Uh, oh, dear. Yes, Detective Kincaid, you said? Yes, he shows you the badge. And let me guess, you've never heard of a Detective Carl Simmons, have you? Um, not aware of him, sir. Hey, well, he just left. Have... He just left here? He just left here. This is a young man, probably about 28, 29. He said, all right, so um, maybe the wires got crossed. I'm not sure. I mean, it is... This was assigned to me uh, this morning when I came into my desk. Simmons, you said? Carl Simmons. And behind him, there are two blue bobbies with badges, evident hats, nightsticks, standing there, smiling, just escorting him into the building and talking with you. You, you which weren't with the other guy. What's that? Which weren't with the other guy. Right. He's offering his identification. Oh, yeah. Metro card. Which, which I take a look at. Man. It looks authentic. Absolutely. Bad. This is like textbook. We made a textbook error. Pulp Cthulhu. Pulp Cthulhu. So it's going to have a lot of those kind of. Damn. Faye immediately gets up and. And cries. No. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> she has a weep. <laughs> Faye is very different from Melinda. Melinda would have been in the corner going, I got to go home. <laughs> I'm going to get arrested. <laughs> and I didn't do anything wrong. It gets so- up. And she really quickly just talks about um, like I how she has reason to believe. Like, I have reason to believe that John Wiley is in some serious trouble. Carl Simmons, the man who I think is posing as a detective that just questioned us. He was incredibly rude. But he is going to see John <laughs> Wiley right now. And I have to reason to believe that John Wiley is in a lot of trouble and have to send somebody to go and check on him or let us go or whatever. I don't care. But uh, ma'am, I, 
I just arrived for, to take some statements. I, I, I really can't let you leave. That's not procedure. But you're saying that John, Mr. John Wiley is in danger. There's probably a good chance or he went off to go find him. This guy is clearly looking for information. He took a book from John Schooley. I don't know, but you a have key, to a, a piece of key evidence. Yes, thank you, he Evelyn. Took it. Key evidence. He goes ahead and takes statements. You are all able to, I'm going to take whoever has the best either persuade it's going to have to be a persuade, a persuade or fast talk. Um, Cause intimidate no charm. is not the way to go. Char- charm. Is a- yeah. We can, if, if yours is the best number, John, we'll go with that. But does anybody have a good persuade? I persuade I'm at 40. A 50. Okay. I'm at 65. On a charm. On a charm. Yeah. To charm somebody in a, an official capacity like this is a, a little bit different the way they discuss charm. It's, you know, using, because it's a, he's already hearing evidence is missing, b- bodies are in danger. This is more of a logical conversation rather than a I'm a nice guy. So why don't we go ahead instead of making it a harder success for you, John? Why don't we just go ahead and Melinda? You have a fifty, you said. I'm no, forty. I have the fifty. I have oh, the okay, 50. Aveline, go ahead and try to persuade him to send one of the bobbies to uh, get to a police call box and try to make some sort of a, a a call back to headquarters to send some men over to the to the Wiley and Company bookstore, the Wiley and Sons. So give me a roll. Yeah, I got Nate. <laughs> okay, that's a critical success. He immediately says, all right, let's start at the beginning. I'll take everybody's statements. But in the meantime, ma'am, just to assuage your fears, I'm going to send this gentleman. He turns and he says, I need you to go down, get to a box, make sure that, you know, and he talks, starts talking. He says, just make sure that, that Mr. Wiley, who is supposed to be at this meeting, I believe, if um, he takes us through, looks and says, um, yes, please, just go find Mr. Wiley. So he dispatches and goes. So he goes ahead and listens to your entire conversation, just like you did with Sid in a, uh, with um, Carl Simmons in a much nicer format. He does not run out of the building looking for this guy. It had already been five or six minutes that he got away. It's not. And remember, he kept checking his watch, making the excuse that, you know, oh, he's not here yet. Oh, they're not here yet. Oh, and then in the hallway, he quickly looked and said, make it brief. So he only had so much time to get in and out. He was assuming you're putting that together. But in the long haul, you're able to give this man his a statement. He does take into effect that you, the five of you have corroborated. And he does this because it, unlike what Simmons did, which was it talked to you all in the same room, he does keep the room and ask the others to step outside with a police officer watching that you're not talking to one another. So he's very methodical. He does this in a more logical way to you. And by the time he's done, he says, well, Either you all had your stories totally airtight or you've been able to pretty much corroborate what you said. That seven or eight shooters broke into a bookstore looking for this particular volume, A Night of Disquiet by Fernando Pessoa. Mr. Schooley was able to disarm one of them. Unfortunately, in a previous struggle, a gunshot was fired. Man was injured. Ross was able to protect him uh, with Sid Poulter and keep the man alive. Aveline, Miss Hammond, was able to make a move to keep other people from getting injured, help people escape. Very noble John, you got the gun, face down Thomas, who we believe is Thomas Barker, and he goes through the whole rigmarole. At the end, he says, it's very important now that we just stay calm. I'm going to make a phone call to my captain, find out. Police officer comes walking in, the Bobby, whispers, and he says, well, that's a fine pickle. Looks at you and he says, seems that the bookstore is on fire. Folks, um, I'm going to need your addresses where you're staying in town. I'm going to ask that you please... Stay in town, and if you're going to leave, please contact my superior or myself. 
just so, until we have this sort of sorted out. It seems Detect- that there is a, a, a much bigger issue at, at hand here. But I apologize for having to keep you as long as I did. And he takes your information. He's very polite about it. But he makes it quick because he's on his way out the door. Just to clarify, sure. through these discussions with him, yep. he is not under the impression that there were three people killed at the bookstore nope, last night. St- he was under the impression until speaking to you separately that there was three people killed in the bookstore. Okay, he was. Yes. Okay. Detective, I'm yes. calling out to him as he's leaving. Yes, ma'am. There was a fire at London General Hospital this morning where Stanley finds the man that was shot and I attended and apparently where those three bodies are being held. There was a fire there this morning. I don't know if you were aware of that. Excellent job, Lauren. He says, that good, good that you mentioned it. He's like, well, that's interesting, ma'am. Almost as if someone might be trying to get rid of the evidence. Precisely. He's like, I'll take that into account. I'll be in touch, Miss Ross. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, I do appreciate your time, but you must excuse me. I'm going to make my way over to the bookstore. And Thank leaves you. the five of you there. Percival Reese has not shown up. John Wiley has not shown up, but his bookstore is in flames. According to the officer, they are on their way out the door. What do you want to do? A way to call Reese. Well, your uncle is his boss. Well, okay, so let's go talk to uncle. Is everybody ready to do that, or do you need time to think to talk about yourself? Yeah, for a yeah, let's, I, I'm not the speaker. Well, I don't know if we'll be of any use if we go to the bookshop that's on fire. I just feel like we might get in the way. It would be interesting to go there and see if that um, no detective is anywhere nearby, but probably not. He probably set the fire and then... I don't think it would look good for us to show up there, personally. I, also agree with that. I think I will go along Catherine and look for uh, Percy. Okay. John? Yeah, that seems wanna... like the... Uh, what's that? Did you want to take a moment and hang back with Sid for a few minutes and go over the the key that he ha- that you still have? Because that's the... I would. I, I'm just, I'm just going to add that uh, going to the bookstore, I don't think it's also, I agree. It, us right now, we're kind of pseudo-suspects. So right. go, going to one of the scenes might, you know, put well, a little separation between us and that. Bur- the fact that the bookstore is burning while you're in the museum kind of leads credence that the five of you couldn't have said it unless it was elaborate. They're going to figure right. out right away it was it was brutal arson. It wasn't like a time device that went off, you know, at a certain hour. This was just Molotov cocktails through the windows. This was just. Is it possible? Is it possible that John said this before he came to the uh, museum? What's that? Is it entirely possible that, that Professor it, John Schooley? Actually, is a demolition art is a demolition specialist. Time yeah, bomb. Yeah, yeah. That's right. That's <laughs> right. Had a really small long smolder. fuse. Yeah, small smolder. Ooh. I'm sorry. Small um, I kind of pull Sid aside, and I I reach into my waistcoat and pull out the uh, pull out the key, and I say, uh, you know, I, I hand it to Sid to to inspect, and I say the the uh, interesting thing is is that uh, an associate of mine. Um, has a key identical uh, to that one. They're from the same place. That key is to a safe deposit box at the National Trust. Aveline, so Faye and Catherine are walking out the office door to look for Aloysius Banks. Aveline, what are you trying to do? And if it's something different, you can type it to me. But in the meantime, are you just leaving the office? Or are you staying? Are you huddled to a corner? What are you doing? John, if she stays, I'll allow you to reset that conversation if you'd prefer. No, I, I'm uh, I'm not of a mind to hide anything from. We were all in this together. Okay, 
So we're all in this my together. Because we know that we are. We can tell you Sorry, you my bad. No worries. You started it. Anyway, um, I think I would stay and look at the de- and like have a look see at the desk. Oh. Like I would wanna, because the police officer didn't do it. So I'm just like, hmm, he's not here. Why is that? Probably, probably something going on. So maybe check the desk. Cleaned out his desk, left. Just start so, inspecting this man's desk and office. Okay, All so right. you start gently rummaging. <laughs> yeah, gently rummaging. A, gent- a gentle rummage. Okay, so I'm sorry, Sid. Why don't I you have no a- shame. I know. Sid, I why don't look you make a little me- askance at that. Why don't you make me a locksmith roll and see if you okay. can ascertain anything else out of it? Or if you can collab- corroborate or corroborate rather uh, what was said. Jesus God. No, well, that's not good. That's horrible. Thank Jesus it wasn't a 96, or it would have slipped through your fingers and through the you know the heating grate on the floor. I take um, it from, I'm like, don't drop it. <laughs> Sweet Jesus, Sid. Sorry, I had uh, porky pies for breakfast this morning. Lots of grease. Yeah, you just it to you, you're not familiar with the so let me describe it. It's got a um it's got a flat, you know, where your fingers obviously and thumb would manipulate the device. It's got a round circular head with teeth set on the inside. And what appears to be, if you look down the the, the small hole, like a barrel of a gun, if you look down it, it I guess it would be called a barrel key or something similar. It does have a, a small shape at the bottom that fits into, a you know, the kind you push and turn, the old like postal boxes. It's definitely one of those. Whether it's from the National Trust, it's hard for you to say, but it's definitely from a bank that's been established for quite some time. And that would make sense that it would be the National Trust. But with that role, you really, there's, you know, you're not really picking up anything else. You do recognize there's initials on it and we've kind of gone over that, but I'll go ahead and give that to you since that's kind of hard to miss. And the initials R-E-K. R-E-K, right. So I'm assuming the R-E-K is... Pointing to the perhaps the owner of the box, maybe or the bank. Well, my uh, my associate's key did not have the same initials on it. You're absolutely sure it's from that bank. Um, I mean, not uh, or, or you know, maybe not, just a bank. No, well, well, I mean, these types of keys, uh, as as it was explained to me, these types of keys, the 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 head of the key, the shape, the color, the metal that's used. You know, they're they're made in batches for, you know, certain institutions or what have you. And my associate's key, as he showed it to me, literally is identical to this key. So it's a pretty strong indicator that that would be the case. Although he uh, he did in, uh, inform me that, you know, it's a very secure area of the bank. More than just, sorry, my shoulder position. Oh, um, <laughs> very secure. So, I'm like... Uh, I'm like so hand John signals. Like, as I, as gave him the secret. Yeah, he yeah. gives him the secret. Sh- the, you know, the the infamous. I belong yeah. to some sort of dark cult. Uh, <laughs> fingers. Yes, yeah, so I'm a third base coach by training. Do not steal the base, sir. Um, the uh, yeah, that that uh, it, it would take more than just uh, going in and saying, "I have a key. Let me have a box." Perhaps if we can come up with some sort of idea, we might be able to inspect. We might be able to to get our way in there and see what this key might might go to most likely it's a safe deposit box so the question is how many hundreds are there in the bank or how well known the owner of this box is the initials might lend to the box itself but then they also may know the owner of that box 
Okay, so we'll leave you guys there for a second. Faye, Catherine, you make yes. your way and you're able to locate Aloysius at some point. He's in his office. His secretary is taking some dictation for a telegraph to someone in another museum that they share display, you know, pieces and exhibits with. You knock on the door. She comes over and, and opens it. You see she's got her notepad in her hand. She was taking some information down. And he's like, oh, we'll, we'll continue this later. Come on in, my dear. Oh, Miss Dawson, how'd everything go? That took a little bit longer than I expected. He looks Finish. up the clock. It's after two o'clock been a most interesting afternoon uncle and if you're and if we could keep your secretary here for a moment i would like information on how to contact percival reese please percival yes he should have been, wasn't he supposed to be at this meeting no that's why i'd like information on how to contact him we're wondering as to his whereabouts i, I, I mean that that's that's preposterous he's he's never late the man's a, the man's a a pillar of of, of timeliness of, of punctuality all the more reason to look into it considering the afternoon we've had very well. Um, Miss Crete, would you please go and find uh, Mr. Mr. Reese's phone number for me and his address? She says, of course, sir. She goes out. So, Uncle, in the hustle and bustle of everything last night, we never got to speak about it. I was busy tending to um, a poor man. What were you? Did you run away? Were you hiding? Run? Run? Why Uncle, would I run? It, I wouldn't it, have left you there like that, my child. If you did, I wouldn't have noticed. I'm your mother's brother. On your cousin's side. This makes no sense to me. Run. My God, girl. If that ever got out. If it if it makes you feel better, did you leave the dangerous situation? Of course I did. Excellent. <laughs> Crazy okay. not to. It would have been insane to stay. And but... when and when did you leave the dangerous situation? Well, um, 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 as soon at as... At what the, point? Let me see. That pretty young thing flipped a table. Faye dodged a shotgun. I'm going backwards, I think. Uh, it was all hither and thither. I'm not quite sure. But the second, and I mean this, and I would not lie to you, Catherine, the second those men were out of the way, I was gone. And by God, I didn't run. I walked like a gentleman. <laughs> by God. Right. And you, did you see any of the gentlemen leaving the scene? All of them, running past me. And I kept in what, saying, in what, in, in what direction, Uncle? Oh, up and down the fair. I mean, it was, uh, you know, the street. Some chose left, some chose right. I made my way to the quickest, uh, to the nearest cab station. And then I stopped and had a pint. But I got a cab and then came back looking for you. And I must say, I was a little bit disappointed that you weren't there waiting for me. It's not right for a young lady to take a cab home at that time of night alone. I wasn't alone. I was with the people who stayed in the dangerous situation. Uh, to, so, she, uh, she took a cab home with me and a few other people. Yes, I, I made friends. Miss Dawson, I, I truly appreciate that you've befriended my niece in such a way that you shared a cab with her. This, it makes my heart feel... He doesn't give Faye any shit about staying. He understands what flight that Faye had to be there. You, on the other hand... <laughs> and again, I, for the players at home, for the, for the listeners at home, Catherine Ross has been described as, I don't know, a curmudgeon, like the queen of curmudgeons. So everybody treats Catherine just slightly differently than they would other people that they actually like. It's not that he doesn't love Catherine and he's very proud of what she did last night. But by the same token, you got to get your shots in when you can with people like that. So he's just doing a little reprimand at the moment. She's not warm and fu she's not warm and fuzzy, folks. Oh, she's a bit no. abrasive. Bit abrasive. Right. Nurse Ratchet. Nurse Ratchet. A little bit. A little bit. So, I'm, I'm done interrogating my uncle. He, he's not useful right now. Not true. Um, <laughs> absolutely untrue. As I was sitting there having a pint. What was his name? Uh, it doesn't matter. But Yes, it I, does. What was his name? No, no, no. The barkeep. Um, I remember saying to him, you know, there was been a tragedy two blocks from here at the Wiley and Son bookstore. He asked me, what tragedy? I thought that was very nice of him to continue the conversation. Didn't have to. Hadn't tipped him. And then I said, my God, I think I left my niece there. And he said, 
was she in danger? And I said, no, she's being blocked by a table. Right. And by the way, oh, and, 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 and Catherine, use this pub. Fine pour. Excellent head on the top. Fine pour. Gentleman knew his business. This is pub. Okay, Aveline. Yes, sir. You, uh, in front of John and Sid are having a in-depth conversation about a key that's about three inches long. You start rummaging through the desk. So I'm going to need a spot. <laughs> I'm going to need a spot hidden roll. I'm not kidding. Like, I'm got a 28. Huh. Okay. So I, are you, I, I'm not spot? kidding. This this is better than that. Well, for you right now, it is. Okay. That's so a hard success. That's a hard success. What were you looking for? Give me give me an idea. Are you looking for something regarding Seti's barge? Are you looking for something regarding uh, his whereabouts? About- his whereabouts today, and if he had any connection to the book or the bookshop, because wasn't he there? Was Reese there with us that night? You mean last night? No, Reese was at the party. Yeah, Reese was there because Wiley's a patron of the museum, and that's why it was being held at his house at his establishment. Exactly. His date book has nothing in it regarding this meeting at noon with the police. It does have a meeting at 5 p.m. with Aloysius over some information that uh, it says expedition meeting, Aloysius finalizing plans. That's all it says. But other than that, the day looked pretty open. Any letters that are important that would have info that might be a little bit suspicious? No, Percival Reese does not appear to be in any way. Uh, Everything you find in a cursory rummaging, again, that was a really strong, you know, you, you, you really took your time. You were focused. You weren't being distracted by the conversation about the key or the fact that, you know, the book was taken by some God knows who man of, you know, that may be involved in all this or obviously appears to be involved in all this. None of that distracted you. You, you went through it thoroughly and you feel fairly confident that Percival Reese is not involved nefariously in any way. And it would, would he all, like in that time, would it be? for everybody to just go to work on that day or does he have like a day off that's off like do you think he would be at his like would that be a weird question to ask well i mean so you know that this is his only job a head of a department isn't going to have a second job so he would he would normally be here on a business day like today and he did have a meeting later on this afternoon he just didn't seem to have anything on his calendar that was pressing that he had marked down now give me an idea roll 56 okay and your intelligence is under that right above that 70 75 So you get the idea in your head that that makes sense that there's nothing about the police meeting in his planner because that happened late last that happened last night and he probably didn't come back to the museum after the attack to write it in. So if he was that was something he never had time to pencil. To you, the planner looks normal. Everything appears to be on the up and up. There's nothing that appears to be out of out of whack. So I got nothing out of that. You all you have no. What you have is that Percival Reese doesn't appear to be involved. And you have a very and you have a strong conviction to that. That from what you see here, the evidence presented in front of you, cursorily going through it, there is no indication that he has anything to do with the darker things heading that that seem to be happening. Okay, then I'm fine. Then I'm fine just sidling on over to the John Schooley and Sid Poulter conversation. Okay, so you start heading off there. So quickly, we'll do Cat and Faye. Catherine takes about. Five ten minutes, and then uh, she comes. Uh, Miss Crate comes in and hands you a piece of paper that she wrote down on a little note card uh, that she posted on it. Reese's address and a phone number. Uh, Miss Crate, would it be possible to use um, your telephone or my uncle's telephone? She don't even have to ask. She just oh, she says, "Of course, Catherine. You, you know your father's the boss." Uncle. Yes. He's he's my no. He's my uncle. Uncle. I'm sorry. Your uncle's the boss. Yes. Um. No. My my father's a much more. He's a quieter man. I go over and I try to call Percival Reese. Okay. So the tones of f- phones over there are a little different. You don't get the ring here. You get the... 
Assuming in 1930s it was the same. No answer. The address is outside of London. It's at least over an hour by train. He yeah. takes it every day. This is okay. Yeah. Um, I call him again. Nothing. Third time. Oh, well, then in that case, he picks up. No, I'm just, I'm confirming. Honest to God, 100%, the phone is Did, not being answered. He's not picking up? Okay. Oh, hell. <laughs> After that, I don't think we're getting The through. operator is getting a little annoyed now, because it's like, you've called this number three times now. 26 he's... ringy dingy. <laughs> Listen. That's right, because every time you call, you have to ask to be connected. That's... Please try the game. Please try the number again, operator. Please try the number uh, again. The, the group curmudgeon doesn't care. Uh, and, and we and duly noted. Okay. Oh, okay. This is this is bad. This man is dead. What do you want to do? Is there a way to? Is there a town listed outside of London? Yeah. Um. It's it's halfway between here and Bath. I don't have a map in front of me. Okay. But it's but there. It's there would be a local police to call. Maybe someone go area? check. On, someone go check on this man. Sure. I would like to do that, please. All right. So we'll jump over to John and Sid real quick. What are you guys uh, with the key? Any other information? There's really not much more you can gleam on it. No, no. I mean, he gives me the information. I basically uh, fumbled uh, the whole key thing. So there's nothing there. I kind of uh, I kind of motioned to ask for the key back to put it back in my waistcoat pocket. If you wouldn't mind, Sid. There you go, Frodo. <laughs> I'm, starting, I'm suddenly feeling I'm suddenly feeling like Boromir. Which would be really hard to do because I shouldn't feel like Boromir until the 1940s. That's probably true. <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure. I, I, I'm, I'm definitely open for ideas. I think there is uh, an avenue of opportunity there, but um, I'm a little bit out of a loss. So, And you, I'm in this conversation now too, right? Yeah. Yes, you have are. You, did I know about the key from last night? I don't remember that. Did I have something to say about that? I don't remember if you saw the key. If I didn't, and I'm going to assume I didn't, I would go like, oh, what is that? There was a couple of people around when I when I took my knife out and cut the uh, cut the cover of the, the inside inside yeah. binding back. Yeah, but so uh, it's not I, like I'll you, clarify. No yeah, no one hit it, Kayla. It was just, if you missed it, maybe you were being talked to by the police at that point, but that's fine. John can tell you. We discovered this key hidden inside the lining of the book. Oh, all right. Well, and it appears it. to be to a safe deposit box at the National Trust. The question being is, how do we approach that? Well, uh, here's an interesting thought. I don't know if this has been discussed yet, but um, since Car the, the fake detective has been discovered and he took the book, perhaps mm. this is what he was looking for, and if he doesn't find it, he might come back for it? It's right. possible. Or burn down the hotel we're staying in. <laughs> It does seem oh. fire is his weapon of choice. He does know where each of us are staying. <laughs> uh-huh. Wow. Faye Dawson's eyes just popped out of her head. That was oh, yeah. I, I wish I wish we were doing video. That would have been one of the greatest looks of all time. Just <laughs> So uh, we'll close out episode three of Cthulhu and Cairo in the London chapter. But we'll be back and we'll uh, see what our intrepid adventures from Pope Cthulhu can uncover <laughs> about, <laughs> about the plots going on currently in London. Thanks for listening to this episode of Cthulhu in Cairo. You can like, share, and subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts. The music you're listening to is Return of the Mummy by the great Kevin McLeod. Join us next time to see where our intrepid explorers find themselves next.